Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Greetings. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean, your host. The website is www.scriptureandprophecy.com. Well, this morning was one of those weird mornings that doesn't happen very often where um, I just feel led to completely change everything that I had planned for the morning. The morning, was, uh, my plan was to con- just continue our study uh, through Psalms today, which would have been Psalm chapter 56, I believe. And then maybe Proverbs 7 or 8. Uh, but I had a weird dream last night. I had a dream that I was... I actually had a dream that I was looking for the psalm, the one that uh, talks about how uh, God is my shepherd and he'll lead me to calm waters and I shall not fear. You guys know what I'm talking about. And that's what I was looking for in the dream. And in the dream, for some reason, I believed it was Psalm chapter 12. And so this morning I went and looked at Psalm chapter 12 because I was thinking, wow, that'd be crazy if that was actually it. It's not. Um, but I thought, man, there's got to be reason to read Psalm chapter 12. So I'm going to do that this morning. But we're also just going to talk about the reality of the, that's, of the situation that we're dealing with right now, which is a massive attack on the church. Um... You know, a lot of times when you have these psyops and you have these attempted takeovers um, and societal takeovers, uh, there will also be little hidden things going on that people aren't focused on. And one of those things that's happening right now is is a complete annihilation of the church in the United States of America. I mean, it's it's the restrictions on the church are far greater than any other uh, industry it feel, it seems like um, you know so we're going to look at some articles like that but I feel like the church is just so impotent so ill prepared and so unwilling so cowardice it's, it's really quite pathetic the church is just like the church in America has become like everything else it just wants to comply to social norms it just wants to be like the world and be accepted by the world instead of being a light on a hilltop instead of being a salt to the earth the church God's people we're not supposed to be like the world and another we should be sticking out like a sore thumb actually we're meant to lead the world to truth and to Christ not to be like the world. And as a result, the church churches are literally and figuratively burning to the ground. And the power of the church is all but completely diminished. I'm going to read uh, Psalm 12. Maybe there's something there for someone. Um... It's only a few verses long, but it was just strange that that, that number came to my mind, so I'm just going to read it. Here's what it says. 
says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. Real quick, just that first verse speaks to us. Help, Lord. Why? Because the godly man ceases. He, we can't find him, right? That's what that means. The faithful fail from among the children of men. Verse 2, they speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips, and the tongue that speaketh proud things, who have said with our tongue we will prevail, or our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side, when the vilest men are exalted. So we have a lot of things going on in this psalm. The psalmist is first saying, Lord, help. There's no godly men. There's no faithful among us anymore. In fact, they all speak with double tongues. And the Lord says, I'm going to arise now for the sake of the poor and the needy. And I'm going to set them in safety from those who puffeth. So it's like this prideful arrogance. He says, I'm going to preserve them from this generation. And the problem here, the last verse says, the wicked walk on every side. And it tells you why that is. So when we look at two, we look at the, let's just look in our own countries. And we see just wicked, wicked on every side of us, right? And say, why is it? Why is it this way? It says, the wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. You see, culture, society has lifted up, has called good evil, and has called evil good, and therefore has exalted evil and vile people. They're the movie stars and the musicians and not... This is not the case for all people in all these industries, but for, by and large, athletes, by and large, not all, but by and large, as a general rule, politicians, for sure, these people who are exalted in these positions, they're vile and disgusting, and when you exalt vile people, and you exalt them and lift them up and put them in positions of power, the next thing you know is you have wickedness on every side. And this is the world we're living in now. And sadly, sadly the church refuses to acknowledge this, and in many cases the church is complicit in participating in it. Many Christians have bought the lie that you say the little sinner's prayer 
You got the fire insurance. Now I'll go live your evil, sinful life. After all, you can't help it. You just have a sin nature. Just go live it up. Live your best life. Do what you want. We need to be weeping. We need to be praying, renting our clothes, fasting maybe. Let me read a couple of headlines and then I will read a couple more scriptures for you. I'm going to read Amos chapter 8 and Nehemiah chapter 8 today. Nehemiah chapter 8 is one of my favorites. In fact, we read that every year during the Feast of Trumpets, but I just want to just want to read it again because it just kind of gives a guideline for what to do, I feel like. First of all, let's just get back to the conversation about the church being under attack. I'm just going to read three articles here when there's an unnumerable amount. Okay, we could do this all week long. Just the things that's been going on with the church since the pandemic has started. Okay. So if we go, so the first thing I want to talk about is how California has now banned singing in churches. Okay? This is this isn't made up. The California governor has banned singing in churches because of the coronavirus. Meanwhile, they'll let tens of thousands of people march through the streets and burn down buildings and commit complete violence and nothing is done. But if you dare gather in a church and sing praises to Yah, to sing praises to Jesus, you will be fined or arrested. Headline says, Outrage after California bans singing in churches amid coronavirus pandemic. Faith leaders are speaking out after California Governor Gavin Newsom banned singing and chanting in houses of worship last week due to a surge of coronavirus cases following weeks of protest. So it's a, it's completely okay to protest. And and it, look, this isn't I'm so sick of hearing peaceful protest. Okay, peaceful protest is not burning down buildings and burning cop cars and killing people. <laughs> I mean this is, this is getting ridiculous, and people aren't calling it what it is. Places of worship must, therefore, discontinue singing and chanting activities and limit indoor attendance to 25% of the building capacity or a maximum of 100 attendees. So you can gather in the streets, and commit violence, and burn down buildings by the tens of thousands, but you can only gather by 100 in a church. New guidelines read, as state health officials recommend churches have members sing online from their homes. You see, this is how it starts. You know, oh, you're allowed to worship, but you need to do it at home. Guys, if you look through history, this is how it always starts, and there's always an excuse for why this is, okay? There's always, there's always an excuse. Oh, you're free to do this, but you need to do it at home, you know, public safety. We just have no idea. The church just has no idea what it's submitting to. It happens throughout history over and over and over. This article here says, Bet you stay home now. Church that refused to close during lockdown gets burned down. 
So a Mississippi church in the midst of a legal battle to stay open despite local, local shutdowns orders was burned to the ground earlier Wednesday morning. So here's what happens. You're going to close your church or it's going to get burned to the ground. I wonder what the count is. I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm guessing it's pretty high of how, of how many churches have been burned down in the last few months. And then where are the evangelical or the church leaders? And then I saw this article. And I, at the very least, I agree with the headline. America's Jews and Christians are failing the test of their lives. It's the truth. Let me just start reading some of it here, see if any of it makes sense to us. If you are a Jew or a Christian in America, the seriousness of your Judaism or Christianity is now being tested. People look back in time and wonder how religious people, especially religious leaders, specifically the clergy, could have failed in times of moral crisis. The failure of most rabbis, priests, and pastors to speak out today when the risk to personal safety is so much less than it was in communist and fascist countries should provide the answer. Religion doesn't have all that much impact on most religious people. Which is true. During comfortable times, it provides two essentials to a happy and fulfilled life, community and meaning. But when tested, it often fails like an umbrella that fails to expand just as it starts to rain. I think you find out where your faith really is when the temperature's turned up, right? When the furnace is going and they're threatening to throw you in. I wish that I had the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I wish that we all did. I wish we could all have that faith. You know, they're, uh, they're refusing to worship the idol. And the king says, you're going to do it or you're going in the furnace. And they said, God is able to protect us in that furnace. And even if he doesn't, we're still not going to do it. Man. Unfortunately, most of us have been co too comfortable, too long. We have a poor understanding of history and how these things that we're seeing right now develop into massacre and genocide of people of faith. Oppression. And severe persecution. Because this is where this leads. Unless the faith population decides to stop being cowardice. If you read the book of Revelation, God doesn't think too highly of cowards. I'm continuing to look at this article. It says, America is being taken over by violent mobs. A vast amount of destruction and stealing has taken place with little police intervention and the apathy of our political leaders, why aren't all clergy delivering thunderous sermons about the seventh commandment, thou shalt not steal? Does it now come with an asterisk? A central part of American history has been seized and occupied by people who hate America, its values, including Judeo-Christian values. 
Heard any clergy, aside from some evangelical, evangelical Christians, speaking out against it? And most anonymous by far, for the first time in American history, free speech, the mother of all freedoms, is being widely suppressed. Not by the government, but by the press, the universities, the high schools, the elementary schools, the giant tech internet media, Hollywood, and virtually every major business in America. Christians and Jews place repentance at the center of their theologies, yet there is no place for repentance if you did or said one insensitive thing, real or alleged. Even if it was 20 or more years ago, Yet all we get from American religious leaders on this matter is silence. I think we've become so comfortable and we have a fear of men rather than a fear of God. I think that's what it boils down to. The reason why the church isn't standing up and the pastors and leaders aren't speaking out and saying, we're not going to do this we're not going to take this. No. There's a few that have done it, and they've paid the price. Right? Churches burned to the ground. A couple pastors were arrested. And then that was enough to silence the whole thing. Silence all. I'm reading this part of the article. I just saw this part of the article towards the end. It says, The answer to this question also goes to the core of what it means to be religious. At the center of our two religions is the notion of the fear of God. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, says Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. But what is now apparent is that most Jews and Christians fear the left. Fear the New York Times, fear being shunned by friends on Facebook and mobbed on Twitter more than they fear God. That's what this moment comes down to. Jews and Christians who fail this test will not only lose their freedom, lose the great American hope for mankind, and lose the West, they will also have lost their souls. Interesting article, interesting read. Most Jews and Christians fear the left, fear the New York Times, fear being shunned by friends on Facebook, mobbed on Twitter more than they fear God. That's the core of the problem. I think I'm going to send out an email and call everyone to pray. To pray for... To, to pray for courage. To pray that God would give us the strength to fear Him instead of the world. To pray for our countries. To get on our faces and repent for the sins of our fathers, the sins of our generation. And then what needs to follow is a real preaching of the Word. Right now, we're experiencing something similar to Amos chapter 8. Let's just read Amos chapter 8 real quick, because I've done enough rambling, and we need to let the Word of God speak before I wrap this up. 
So we're going to read two chapters, Amos chapter 8 and Nehemiah chapter 8. Amos chapter 8, here's what it says. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, A basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, The end is come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, saith the Lord God. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail. By the, way, by the way, doesn't that verse sound similar to the one I just read out of Psalm 12 that says, For the oppression of the poor and the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, saith the Lord, I will set him in safety from him that, him that puffeth at him. Continuing on, verse 5, saying, When will the new moon be gone, that we may sell corn? And the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great, and falsifying the balances by deceit. That we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat. The Lord hath sworn by the excellency of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall not the land tremble for this? And every one mourn that dwelleth therein? And it shall rise up wholly as a flood, and it shall be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt. It shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day. And I will turn your feast into mourning, and all your song into lamentation, and I will bring up sackcloth and up all lions, and baldness upon every head, and I will make it as the morning of an only son, and the end thereof is a bitter day. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of a hearing of the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and north even to the east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. And that day shall the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst, they that swear by the sin of Samaria, and say, Thy God, O Dan, liveth, and the manner of Beersheba liveth, even they shall fall and never rise up again. We're seeing a famine right now of food, of not food and water, although that's coming, but we are seeing the famine of the word of the Lord because it's not being preached. And what's been preached for a generation is a perverse version of the word. It's all about humanism. It's all about how to live your best life now, how to take this scripture out of context and be happy and do as thou wilt versus obey God. I mean, even John... The Apostle John says, This is how you know that you love God, that you obey His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. I mean, come on. How is it that the church has gotten so lukewarm that it literally, the people literally think they can do as they want? And that there's no consequence. 
got the fire insurance. Let's read Nehemiah chapter 8. Verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding, upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon the pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Matiah, Shema, Aniah, Urijah, Hilkiah, Masiah, and on his right hand and on his left hand, Pediah, and Mishael, and Malkiah, and Hashum, and Hashabadana, Zechariah, and Meshalam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces on the ground. Also Jeshua and Bani and Sherebiah and Jamin and Akub and Shabbathiah, Hodajah, Messiah, Keliata, Azari, Josabad, Hanan, Pelilah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tishertha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto your Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be you grieved. Keep in mind, this is talking about the Feast of Trumpets, which comes up in the fall. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to sin portions and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. And on the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers and all the people and the priests and the Levites unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded Moses, that the children of Israel would dwell in booths and the feast and in the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth to the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went forth, and they brought them, and they made themselves booths upon the roof of his house. Of course, now we're talking about tabernacles. And their courts, and the courts of the house of God, and then the streets and the water gate, and the streets of the gate of Ephraim, and all the congregation of them 
who had come again out of captivity, made booths and sat under the booths. For the since the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to the day had not the children of Israel done so. So there was a very great gladness. Also day by day, from the first day until the last, he read the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day was the solemn assembly according to the manner. The point here is that Ezra got through to the people by preaching the law of God, by sharing the scriptures. We got a lot of fluff in churches these days and not much of the word of God. And anything that might be offensive or cause people to tremble, to actually cause people to examine themselves, to actually cause people to repent, to repentance is not preached because sin is not preached and repentance of sin is not preached in most churches. The answer is the word of God being spoken boldly. The answer is for the children of God, the remnant of God, the church of God to not be cowardice, but to be bold. Not to be, not to, to cause strife or to, you know, th there's a way to do it. We are to be gentle, like doves, right? But wise as serpents. but unmovable in the truth, unmovable from righteousness and holiness, uncompromisable. We've been cowardice. What does Jesus say? Those who seek to save their lives will lose it. Right? Isn't that not what's happening to the entire church right now? Everybody's keeping their mouth shut. Everybody's being cowardice. Everybody's being afraid, trying to preserve themselves. And what is happening inevitably is that the church is being destroyed as a result. Well, I hope that everything made sense this morning. It was kind of an off-the-cuff podcast this morning. Wasn't really sure exactly what direction to head, so I've just been talking and looking at the scriptures. And so I pray that it spoke to you this morning and that you've been blessed, maybe encouraged in some way. I want to thank the Patreon subscribers and those who support the podcast through PayPal. Uh, literally couldn't do this without you. And like most industries in the world, um, you know, the finances are down about half of what they were previous years. Uh, so those of you who contribute and, and help make this possible, I appreciate it. And, uh, it makes a huge difference. So thank you so much to all of you. That's all I have for you this morning. I'll try to get an email out this week calling for prayer and repentance, which is what we need is what we need. Peace and grace be with all of you. Until next time, God bless.